thinking about witnesses. And so there was a youth director, and I think we need to ask this question too, but there's a youth director one day put before the youth of his church if it was really important whether Christ rose from the grave. He put this uh, question before them. What if, imagine that some archaeologist finds positive proof that he's unearthed the bones of Jesus of Nazareth. What would that do to your faith? At first, uh, they wanted to dispute the idea, saying, how do we know they were the bones of Christ? <clears throat> but they were told they did not have that option. And for the sake of the question, that to assume that the bones were Christ's bones. And so, with that assumption, they begin to reason, and they said, well, he's still God, right? He still died for us, didn't he? He still would have taught the same things, wouldn't he? I could still believe in him, couldn't I? They somehow felt that they could still hold onto their faith even though Jesus' bones were found buried and he didn't rise from the dead. Well, if you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you're going to see that it is significant, absolutely significant. There are groups of people meeting today in so-called churches that don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter on resurrection, beginning in verse 14, it says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished, and in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we're of all men most miserable. Listen, it absolutely matters whether Christ rose from the dead. It's not a secondary issue, but it's the very issue of Christianity. If he didn't rise, then Christianity is empty. If he didn't rise, then we're still facing the judgment for our sins. John 3.16, that well-beloved passage for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's false, because we're going to perish. What keeps us from perishing is the work of the resurrection. And so if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we better take up the philosophy 
eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. All we have to live for is the present. And so I want to consider some of the proofs of the resurrection Simple proofs of the resurrection. First, there's a fact of the Christian religion. It's worldwide in its scope. It dates back to the first century AD. Christians from the time of Christ have turned the world upside down preaching constantly that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again. Christianity remains strong because Christ rose from the grave. People who have trusted in the work of the cross Lives have been changed. They become new creatures. And so, though true Christianity sometimes goes up and down, we have many false religions that have great numbers of people, but the Christian religion is not going away because uh, of Christ did rise from the grave, and he promised his churches that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Secondly, not only do we have the Christian religion, but we have the fact of the Christian day. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but Sunday is a day of worship, but for, you must understand that for centuries, uh, millenniums, that uh, people worshiped on Saturday. The Muslims worshiped on Saturday. Uh, it's uh, difficult for Noah to have his group of people. He has, a, he has Saturday services for outreach and then some Sunday services for those who uh, claim to be saved. And uh, the great fact that years and years and years and years of tradition were broken when Christ rose from the grave and we celebrate his resurrection on Sunday. Well, what brought about that change? Well, they believed without any doubt that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and particularly this Sunday, uh, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also have uh, the, the, uh, the Christian book, uh, the Bible. It uh, has stood the test of time. It has been reproduced more than any other book in history. It's been <laughs> revised mostly out of uh, trying to make money on a new version. But uh, 
the Bible still is here, still stands. Many, many other books as old as the Bible don't even exist or exist in very few copies. But there's a vast multitude of copies of the Bible. And so why is that? Well, because there's a message in it that Christ rose from the dead. We also have the, the empty tomb that there was a place where Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb. And, and you know, uh, the Jews uh, got the Romans to say that, or, or the guards of the tomb to say that uh, they, someone stole the body when they slept. And, uh, and it, that, that uh, was their excuse. But you see, all of that argument about whether, whether somebody stole the body or not, it all could have been settled if they just produced the body. No one produced the body. The tomb was empty. And then we have the testimony of the Christian martyrs. Sometimes, sometimes people can die for something that they believe to be true, even though it's false. They can be deceived. But nobody dies for something that they know is false. They died believing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ Jesus died for their sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again uh, the third day according to the scriptures. All of these 12 disciples, 12 apostles, died for what they believed. And many, many others besides the 12 they knew that Christ rose from the grave and they knew that their only hope for eternity rested in Jesus Christ. Now I also want, to, want to, you to see, let's go over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Those were Jews. The 3,000 souls were Jews, Jewish converts. We don't really get into the issue of Gentiles until... until Acts chapter 8. And then look in uh, Acts chapter 4. In verse 1, As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
And they had of them and put them on hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about 5,000. So we have the 3,000, and then we have the 5,000, and then in chapter 6 and verse 1, instead of using the term added as it did, uh, and it was added unto the Lord about 3,000 souls in Acts 2.41, we find in chapter 6 and verse 1, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose murmurings of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in their daily ministration. I, d I didn't take the time to personally look up all of the time frame here, but the, one of the men that I was reading after said that this 8,000, 5, and 3, and then multiply, and he, he's, he, he is guesstimating that at least 10,000 Jews were saved. And when it says men, um, whether that just means men or that means uh, <clears throat> men and women together, it seemed like it only was numbering the men, and so many, many uh, Jewish women could have been saved also. But it was about a period of five weeks from the resurrection, and at least 8,000 people were saved, and maybe 10,000 people. Now, what we know about the Jews is this. Throughout all of history from the time of Abraham, the Jews have remained a distinct and separate people. Although sometimes there have been intermarriage with the Jews, and we find that even in the, in the Old Testament. But as a people, they've always maintained their distinction. And they, they, they had uh, a lifestyle, and they had some, some, uh, some beliefs that made them very, very distinct. And some of those things I want to talk to you about. The Jews, from early and throughout all their history, believed that you should offer animal sacrifices. That was established way back in the garden. They've offered animal sacrifices. But now, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let's say 10,000, no longer are going to the temple to offer sacrifices. They believed that Jesus was the Lamb of God which took away the sin of the world. They, they, the, the, their culture has completely been changed. Their, their thinking has been changed. And that's going to, I mean, cement it into their, into their culture and into their religion as sacrifices. Secondly, the Jews very much believe in the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the necessity to try to live the Ten Commandments. Yet, with Christ's death, they realize that keeping of Moses' law to be right with God was impossible but you could be right with God through Jesus Christ. 
Can you imagine him coming home, a young boy of 17 coming home and telling his parents, I don't need to, I can't be made righteous through the law. And that's why uh, even today, when that takes place, uh, many, many are, uh, are rejected by their family. Look over in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 is known as the Shema. It's what a Jew would say every morning in taking time to pray to God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now in saying that, many of them didn't understand that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, that that was a uniplural noun for God. That it leaves room for God, the Spirit of God over the waters and the Spirit of God speaking, the Lord God speaking. It, and it, it, their misunderstanding of Genesis and um, the Old Testament in many places, that God was a triune being. And so when a Jewish man got saved, he believed in God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. It never really contradicted the Shema but for the majority of the Jewish nation, it did. You are now believing in three gods. Well, something had to be real in their lives for them to, to change the day of their worship, for them to, to say that Moses' law wasn't given for us to keep to be right with God, but it was given to us that we might understand that we can't be right with God by doing things, but only by trusting in the Lord. And then the triune God. That, uh, that, uh, I'm not keeping up here, am I? Oh, I didn't have that on there anyway. Uh, and then, Another thing that the Jews changed is that uh, they they didn't uh, didn't see that one person would die for them all that someone would suffer and die for the sins of the world as well as 
the, the sins that their sins. Their Messiah, their Messiah wasn't a man that was going to come and die for mankind. Their Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman government. And so all of those, the Jews and, and the change of the, uh, the day of worship, the uh, martyrs, the empty tomb, the Christian book, all of those point out that a resurrection took place. Now, what I want to do now is shift gears and go over here. What the resurrection proves. Look in uh, Psalms chapter 16. Psalms chapter 16. And let's begin in verse 8. David said, I have set the Lord, Jehovah God, capital L-O-R-D, always before me, because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now what you got to understand here is though David is writing this, this is inspired by God, so God is writing this. And when you come to verse 10, Thou will not leave my soul in hell, and the word hell here doesn't mean a place of torment as much as it means the grave. Thou will not suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. That is, I'm not going to rot in the grave. Now go with me over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, that is Christ. I foresaw the law always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, all my flesh shall rest in hope. And then he begins to quote Psalm 16 that we just read. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And so he quotes Psalms here when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he says, 
Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. And so he's saying, David couldn't have been talking about himself. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. And so God said that he was, David was going to have a son that would rule upon his throne forever. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. The resurrection proved that Psalms 16, 8 to 11 is true. It's the fulfillment of Psalms 16, 8 through 11. And so it proves the word of God. It, it uh, verifies what God has said. And then, uh, I don't know, I don't want to go into this uh, really deep. Uh, when you go to... Uh, When you go to um, Acts chapter 13, I'll just point this out to you and probably won't make a lot of comment. Acts chapter uh, 13 and verses 26 through 7 to 27, uh, 26 through 37, Paul is going to quote Psalms 2, he's going to quote uh, in, verse, in verse 33 of Acts 13. It says here, talking about the resurrection, God hath fulfilled the same unto his children in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. <clears throat> when the Psalm is not speaking of his birth in Bethlehem, but it's speaking of his resurrection. And so that fulfilled that. And then verse 34, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to, to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And I'm not, the time limit won't let me explain all this, but it's a quote David's using, or, uh, in Acts 13, they're, you're using this to point out that Isaiah 55, 3, spoke of the resurrection. And then in verse 35, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. That's a quote out of Psalm 16. And so, uh, one thing that makes me rely upon the word of God is that Christ rose from the grave. Secondly, uh, the resurrection proved the deity of Jesus Christ um, Peter says to Christ, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thomas, after the resurrection, and seeing his hands, said, My Lord and my God. Matthew, when he talked about his birth, said, His name shall be Emmanuel, uh, God with us. But look over in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1. Paul addresses the Roman 
believers, and he said to the Roman church, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And so he, uh, he recognizes that he's a descendant of David and declared to be the son of God, not just the son of David or the seed of David, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. And so he, this Jesus of Nazareth <laughs> that rose from the grave, he's declared to be the son of God. He has power. He has the spirit of holiness. And what declares that? What verifies that? What makes it understandable? What makes it validated that he could be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead? Because Christ arose he did something that only God could do. And then, thirdly, and maybe most important, is over in Romans chapter 4 and verse and verse 25. It says, who was delivered for our offenses, that Christ paid for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We understand that. We understand that the wages of sin is death. We understand that the Bible teaches without the shedding of blood there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. We understand that no sinful man, which we all are, could ever pay for the sins of himself or another man. We understand that Christ, in becoming a man, lived without sin. He died in their place. He uh, made the payment that satisfied the wrath of God. But he says here, and raised again for our justification. He died for our sins, was delivered for our sins, but he is raised for our justification. Well, what is that about? Well, you see, uh, if a person is arrested for a crime and he's sent in for 10 years, and five years of probation. After, after that 10 years and five years, he's declared justified. Just as though you'd never sinned. His pay, the payment has been accepted and no longer is he held under any accountability or responsibility. And when that happens, 
after the 10 years, let's just say there's no, no probation, but 10 years, when he serves his time, they open the door and they turn him loose. Because full payment has been made for the crime. When Christ went to the cross and died, full payment was made and he's released. He rose again. He couldn't be held any longer. He made full payment and when that full payment is seen, then God could say, I am satisfied and I declare you justified. The, 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 if you look over, uh, let's see, um, in uh, Romans 10, in Romans 10, and 9, in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so when we confess the Lord with our mouth, we acknowledge in him as God, we're acknowledging him as our Lord, we're putting ourselves in a place of repentance where we declare him our Lord and receiving him in our heart, and thus I believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead. It's not just a, you have to understand this, that what he's talking about here is not just belief in the historical record that Christ rose from the dead. It's not a historical belief. A part may be, a part of that could be historical, but what I'm believing is, is that his death was accepted by God and he rose again. I'm believing in the sufficiency of Christ's blood to pay for my sin. And the resurrection, the resurrection makes it proof positive that I'm saved. And I'm saved forever. The resurrection also guarantees the perpetuity of the Lord's church. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But if he remains in the grave, then what power does, does the church have? Look over in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, and look there in verse 19, or 18. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in the heavenly places. He's saying, listen, because Christ rose, Christ had the power to, to pay for sins, then we can, we can function 
as a church, he's addressing the Ephesian church, we can function as a church with the power of God. That this foolishness that takes place every Sunday and every Wednesday, that God has chose the foolishness of preaching. To everybody else it seems to be foolishness. But it's the power of God into salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God into salvation. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then it is foolishness. And so, here uh, I wanted to read down to verse 23, which he wrought in Christ, in verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the, his body, the fullest of him that filleth all in all. You see, you got. We have to understand here, when we've uh, sent, when we've sent uh, literature after literature to numerous villages in Alaska, when we prayed and prayed and prayed for that relative to get, to be saved, when it seems like that that there's no interest in spiritual things, and that. We're just, we're just treading water. No. A church functions on the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he's working. And then the final thing, oh, not the final thing, uh, it proves that I have a mansion in heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do not be troubled that you believe God, believe also in me. In my, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Listen, if he didn't rise from the grave, nobody's pounding nails in heaven. <laughs> I don't think they're pounding nails in heaven anyway, but we, we have a mansion to go to. If in this life we have only have hope in Christ Jesus, we're all men most miserable. It guarantees that he's coming again. And then the sad part that probably the uh, resurrection proves this. It proves the inevitability of God's judgment. And... Uh, John chapter 5 and verse 21. John 5, 21 says, as For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which he has sent. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, which passed from life unto death. But very, very, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear, and the voice of the Son of God, and they shall live. 
For as the Father hath in himself, so that life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him the authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Well, judgment is coming. Um, in Acts chapter 10, this will be our last verse. In Acts chapter 10, in verse 38. Now God anointed Jesus in Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And so... There's salvation in the Lord, but there's also a coming day of judgment. The resurrection guarantees the fact that God's going to reconcile things. And, uh, and that is a, a source of, uh, that is a, a sober thought. We need to be busy about sowing the seed. But in another sense, no one understand that men who have made the decision and quite likely their final decision, men like Stalin and Hitler and Lenin and Marx and Putin, Paul Pot, men who curse you at the door and reject Jesus Christ. The Lord does say, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Yes, we need to pray for them and we need to sow the seed, but listen, God is not going to be mocked. And the fact that he rose again and is coming back to judge this world and rule it with a rod of iron is because he rose again. Okay, you're dismissed. Thank you.
know, when I was at the meeting the other night, I thought we had $8,000 in the oil fund. Why don't we buy some oil to keep this building up? The guy back there at that computer, he's the one in charge. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs>